0: Tonight's message in this series is entitled Dealing with Deliverance. Dealing with Deliverance. Some people, some of us as Christians, find ourselves in very difficult circumstances and situations. And then we are delivered from those, then after being delivered from those situations, it's not long before we find ourselves right back in the same situation. Maybe I should repeat that one. <laughs> we're going through and we are praying for God to alter our circumstance. God move this out of my life, get rid of this. And God does that and that happens. And time transpires and we find ourselves back in the place where God has delivered us. Sometimes what happens is that when we return back, we go back further than when we first were in the circumstance. You know, it's a dangerous thing, particularly with sin. It's a dangerous thing to get delivered from a sin and return to it. Usually when the person returns to it, his level of indulgence goes deeper than it was prior to his first deliverance. So what we want to talk about tonight is how to deal with the deliverance once it has been experienced because if you don't deal with deliverance properly, you'll find yourself back in the same situation. Now, the story where we are now, Joseph was in prison. He was in prison uh, partially because Potiphar's wife had um, lied on him. And Potiphar, who was his boss, had him uh, jailed. While in prison, he meets two inmates, a baker, and a cupbearer who were in the employ of Potiphar. Both of them have dreams, and Joseph interprets those dreams. They are both released from prison. The baker is hanged, and the cupbearer is restored to his original uh, position in Pharaoh's house. Two years pass, and... Pharaoh has a dream, and his dream is a very troubling dream. First, there are seven cows, all emaciated, and one cow eats the other six cows, but he remains emaciated. The next portion of the dream is that there are seven uh, wheat stalks. One wheat stalk eats the others, but it remains like that, and so Pharaoh is troubled by his dream and he wants to know the interpretation of it. He can't find the interpretation of the dream through any of his astrologers or magicians. And so at this point, and when we read the scripture, the Bible says that the cupbearer makes this profession. He says, I remember my sins now. He says, because... When I was in prison, I promised a young man that when I was restored, that I would help him get liberated also. But you know how it is, when you get free of your situation, it's easy to forget others who were laboring under the same type of struggle. Am I right about that? And he said, you know, I was having such a great time, I forgot all about my fellow homeboys in the prison who- and he said, this guy, though, can interpret dreams. And so we, sh- we shared that, this on Sunday. And here's, when we talk about dealing with deliverance, here's the first point that I want us to note tonight is once you get out of your situation, you always want to move further in your life. Am I right about that? So we want to learn this skill to see to see opportunity in someone else's obstacles if you recall the major theme in this story is that God is teaching Joseph not how to be the head of anyone but how to be a servant when another person has a problem if you can see an opportunity to help that person, that is often your doorway to deliverance. If you can only see that problem as that person's problem, then often you cut off your own blessing. There are many people that would not help another person solve their own problem if you paid them to do it. In other words, many of us are just stuck on self. But Joseph, Joseph's opportunity was directly connected to Pharaoh's obstacle. Now, the text in verse 15 says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one could interpret it. Boom, that's the door that's open for Joseph. So when when someone shares a problem with you, that just might be an opportunity for a door to open for a greater level of service and a greater level of growth in your life. Number two. Keep God at the center of your giftedness. Keep God at the center of your giftedness after you're delivered. Now, I usually go to the prison on the third Friday of every month. Mostly every month, third Friday of every month, I go to the prison not as part of my ministry as pastor. I go to the prison as part of what I do for the Lord personally, because the Bible says that we should visit prisoners, so I I go. That's my personal service to God. And people in prison can really pray. I've noticed, I mean, in prison, inmates can pray. But the rate of and I think the word is recidivism amongst inmates is very high, which must mean that prayer life outside of the prison is different from prayer life inside of the prison. (laughs) Are you with me? But we don't have to go to Broward Correctional Center in order to understand that. People in trouble, period, can pray. Yes, we can. Even atheists. And agnostics, when they get in enough trouble, can summons up enough theology to say, Lord, have mercy. Even might move themselves and say, God, if you're real, break these chains of bondage in my life. Well, when Joseph was released, um, Pharaoh asked him, he said, I had a dream, but and I have heard it said that you can interpret a dream. And what Joseph said I can't do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he he desires. Now, this is what I want you to learn how to do in your life, is to subjugate the I to the he. What do I mean? And we shared some of this on this past Sunday, that we have to get into the habit of eliminating a whole lot of eyes from our vocabulary. What can get us in the most trouble in life is talking about ourselves and our own prowess and our own power. You see, Joseph had grown to the place where he recognized that the power really was God's power working in him. Do you remember the story in the Bible about it was a rich man And the rich man uh, said he had a a large uh, farm. And what he said, he said, my farm is producing so much, so I will build some bigger barns. You remember that story? I will build some bigger barns. And then he said, I will say to myself, self, uh, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. In this whole soliloquy, this man, with all of his abundance, uh, could not think further than the personal boundary that he had created for himself. All of his wealth, more than he could ever spend or manage, and the, f- the furthest he could think was I. Well, you, you don't grow in life until I become subjugated to he, or until me become subjugated to him, and, and, and until we... Uh, uh, decrease and we allow him to increase. Does that make sense? Third thing when you're delivered, sharpen your listening skills I know you've heard this before but you've got to hear it again sharpen your listening skills because in listening you learn if you listen people will tell you what you need to do Amen. And so, Pharaoh say had the dream. And so, what Pharaoh did, he began to share the dream with Joseph. And he said, uh, Pharaoh said to Joseph, "In my dream, I saw standing on the bank of the Nile, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. And when, and when, and when, out of the river there came seven cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed amongst the reeds. After them, seven other cows." came up scrawny and very ugly and lean, and I had never, never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. And he goes on to tell that. He goes through verse 24. He goes and tells about the grain, and the grain swallowing up the other grain. But here's the thing. The whole time Pharaoh was talking, Joseph didn't interrupt. Joseph just listened. He just listened. And as he listened, uh, Pharaoh was telling him, was sharing with him that the, the, the depth of his problem. Many times... Many times, we can't understand a person's hurt because we start applying the remedy before we've heard the person out. <laughs> person begins talking, and before the person can finish sharing what they're trying to share, we've already, we're have ready to tell them, well, this is what you need to do. And we haven't yet heard everything that the person has to say. About that, let the person finish talking. Amen. Let them share everything, and then, by the grace of God, if there's something you can do to help, share. Sometimes the best you can do is say, "Well, I'll pray for you." <laughs> amen. And so, sharpen your listening skills. The more you hear, the more you can serve. The more you hear, the better. You can serve number four, be a problem solver. you know why many you know why many people return back to prison after they have um, been released because they are a problem and not a problem solver. Amen they're a problem they haven't changed how they flow what Joseph was was a problem solver. Do you remember the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus makes a statement. Blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called what? The children of God. Yesterday I came home. I walked into the house. I turned on the television. I turned to C-SPAN or CNN. I was trying to see what was going on with the election. And, it, and I turned and they had a camera And they were following a guy in Los Angeles, California, who was leading the police on a wild goose chase. Did anyone see that on yesterday? Here's a fellow that obviously was not a problem solver, he was a problem. And and when we are a problem, his situation, His condition has nothing to do with the vehicle or the streets. It's a condition of his heart. Because when you're a problem, it doesn't matter whether you're behind a wheel of a car or whether you're sitting in a committee meeting. Amen. You're going to manifest the nature of your being. And so we should not be persons that create storms wherever we go. Say amen. 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 I mean, I mean, I mean, there's nobody so important and so valuable that the world can bear up under our storms. And so to be to, if we want to stay out of our situations, it's, it's good to say, how can I be a problem solver? And how can I help now? Most of the time when we cause problems, we don't realize we're causing problems. Marriage, how many times have the spouse, one spouse asked this question, what's wrong? Other spouses say, well, don't you know? (laughs) I don't see why you're asking me that. Don't you know? Amen. Well, I didn't know. Well, what did I do? Well, you know what you did. And then they'll look at you right dead in the eye and say, now you don't know what you did? Well, if I knew what I did, I wouldn't be asking you what's wrong. Amen. Many times we don't know that we're causing a problem. Why? Because we're not in tune with ourselves. Amen. Not in tune, not in touch with with ourselves. And so Joseph had a lot of time. How do you get in touch with yourself? Solitude. Solitude and sometimes solitude with a little suffering in it. Not solitude where you go off to uh, Acapulco and just chill. <laughs> solitude where you can't go in place but your bedroom. And you're forced to think about no one but yourself. And and so David had that type of experience. He had some trouble in his life. And in Psalm 51, um, he begins to deal with no one but himself. And he begins to talk to God. And in that whole uh, prayer in Psalm 51, he never mentions anybody else in his prayer except him. He doesn't mention the persons who were with him when he got in trouble. He doesn't mention um, all of the factors in his life that may have forced him into poor thinking. He says, Lord, have mercy on me according to your loving kindness and according to your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. For against you and you only have I sinned, not us, not we, have I sinned and done this iniquity in your sight, creating me. A clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Now, often in prayer, we spend a lot of time asking God to solve the problems of other people's life. God, I and you know, we faithfully praying for our spouses and our children. God, I just pray that my wife can overcome this particular issue. But here's the thing about being a good spouse or a good friend or a good family member. Suppose they never overcome it. What do you do? What do you do? Can you you live in peace in the presence of an irritant? Without drawing attention to the irritant, I wish I had somebody who could help me, without drawing attention to the irritant, and as a matter of fact, giving thanks to God for the person who keeps the irritant present in your life. Because here's the thing, in all relationships, every relationship that we enter into is going to bring with it some problematic issues. Even your best friend will get on your last nerve sometimes. Am I right about that? And, and so our position is to be someone not who is a problem maker, but in the presence of problems, be one who can create peace. Yeah, your friend may never change. Maybe you change. Adjust. Adjust. Look over it. Look past it. Number five. Now it says uh, on your paper, I don't know which is the blank, suggest what you possess. Or you could say possess what you suggest. Let's look at the scripture. After the dream was interpreted, This is what Joseph said at the end of the dream. He, the interpretation of the dream was that a famine is coming, and it's going to be a long famine. And he says, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Now, there's three characteristics here that will help us remain out of the difficult dilemmas that predated our deliverance. Three characteristics. Discerning. So we all need to pray to be discerning persons. Now, when, when amongst spirit, spiritual, spiritual people, people who are real spiritual, the number one spiritual gift that I hear spiritual people say they have is the gift of discernment. Well, oh, I have the gift of discernment. I have the gift of the discernment. But the the gift of this this discerning, and most of the spiritual gifts are not spooky. What is the gift of knowledge? That means that you have the capacity to retain and explain large amounts of information about various subjects. Amen. And as a matter of fact, you catch on very quickly even the subjects that you may not even be familiar with. So, amen. Gift of knowledge. The gift of faith. What is that? That means you have the capacity when there's no evidence that you should believe. And you have the capacity to trust God anyway. Amen. As a matter of fact, the evidence says that you should stop trusting God three Hebrew boys, fiery furnace, gift of faith. How is it in operation? King, we heard what you said. When you play the music, we're to bow down. King, we just want to say one thing. When you play your music, we're not going to bow down. And said, King, we want to let you know something. Said, our God is able, King, We know that no one has ever survived the fiery furnace before, but we want to let you know that our God is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace. Here's the gift of faith. But guess what, King? Even if he does not deliver us, we're not changing our mind. My faith is not depending upon how God behaves. My faith determines how I behave. My faith puts no handcuffs on God. My faith does not hold God hostage. My faith determines how I function in the presence of God. And even if he doesn't, I'm not, we're not bowing down. That's the gift of faith. He's able. And so, when you are ministering to people, listen, when you are ministering to people, now, this is key. Staying out of The dungeons, staying out of the prison, staying out of the chains of life. When someone shares their problem with you and you suggest the remedy, whatever you suggest, you should possess. (laughs) You shouldn't suggest something and then have to give them a referral. Amen. And so if a person comes to us and says, listen, I am I am I am I am I have a spiritual problem. I can't break my addiction to uh smoking crack. Now that's physical, but it's spiritual too. Now I can't smoke crack. I can't be hitting the pipe. <laughs> Are you with me? And then recommending that he leave the pipe alone. (laughs) Someone is in domestic violence. They come and share with you, well, I'm trying to overcome being violent with my spouse. Well, I can't say, well, man, you need to stop that. And the next thing he finds out on the news the next morning, I'm walking out of the house, my hands behind my back. <laughs> you have to possess. You know, uh, the, the uh, psalmist said, created me a clean heart. So that's the reason. That's, that's what Because you never know who you're going to have to help. Okay. Uh, so... Number six, suggest the team and what the team will do. Now, when you, get ready, when, a, when, when you get ready to help a person, because helping others is a part of your own deliverance, right? Everybody needs more than one person in their life to help them. Now, what... What happened here, Pharaoh didn't just need Joseph. He needed Joseph and some other people. The greatest, one of the greatest barriers for people in ministry is a willingness to work with other people. Now, I know it doesn't seem like that, but... It's very hard for me, who knows how to do what I do, to let others help me do what I say I know how to do. Most people would rather, s- I can't think of the word, but they tried to tough it out. By themselves, no matter how heavy the burden is, how many balls they're juggling, they would rather do it themselves than allow somebody else to help them. Here's one of the quotes you'll hear in the church, no matter how large or how small. The same people do all the work. I used to think that that was those people's fault. But I have discovered there's another part of this. The reason the same people are doing all the work is because the same people keep asking the same people and only the same people to do some of the work. Y'all getting quiet? On oh, may and hair. And a stranger we will not bring into our fold. Don't you know Jesus said, I have sheep not of this fold. There are some other people who can serve, and if they can't do it now, they can learn how to do it. Give them a month, give them three months, give them six months, and they'll be doing it better than we ever did it. It would give them an opportunity and some time. Because there's a place of service in the kingdom for everybody. Every leader ought to have somebody right alongside of them who's learning what they're doing. That's what discipleship is all about. It's not just about me doing what Jesus called me to do. It's about doing what Jesus called me to do in partnership with others. Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. So everybody should have somebody alongside of them looking at what they're doing, learning, and pouring into them. Number seven, be ready if God selects you. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning. All right, that's what he said. He said you need to pick somebody discerning, wise, and who can be in charge of all of Egypt. Now, wouldn't you like to have somebody in your life like that? (laughs) I mean, they just come up to you and say, listen, I'm going to tell you what you need. You need somebody who's discerning. They know how to make decisions. That's what discerning means. They know how to make decisions. They are wise. They can make the correct decisions about people and resources and timing. And and then um, they can be in charge of stuff. Now, that's the kind of people you want to surround yourself, people who like to be in charge of stuff, but are discerning and wise. Now, if you get somebody who likes to be in charge of stuff, but has no discernment and no wisdom, That's going to be a problem. But if you get somebody who's discerning and wise and can take responsibility, that's stewardship is called, then that's the kind of people you want to bring into your life or help develop. And you know, as a disciple maker, these are three skills that are good to help someone develop. Decision-making skills. Wise, how to use knowledge and resources and time. And then how to manage that which does not belong to you because if you can't manage what does not belong to you you will never manage your own well so if god selects you be ready some of you fasting during this daniel fast get ready god's coming He's coming. He's going to ask you. The question is, will you be ready when he comes? Or, or will you have just denied yourself some hamburgers? <laughs> now once the opportunity comes, once God brings you to the place where something big is before you, It's going to be your way of blessing. Once you get there, here's the principle. Work before pleasure. Don't get there and throw a ticker tape parade. See, see, Joseph just got, he just came out of prison. And now he's, in a week or so, he is in charge of Egypt. Now, many of us, I'm telling you, if we had just gotten out of prison, walked up into Pharaoh's house, interpreted Pharaoh's dream, and then Pharaoh said, well, you're the man that's going to execute the plan that we just talked about, and you're in charge of everything in Egypt except me. Before we would have gotten around to doing some work, man... We would have killed several fatted calves. Am I right about that? We would have called everybody. Come on over, I'm telling you. Now, this is not the time to talk about how you've been blessed. You just got in the door. Do the work. That has been assigned to your hands. Accomplish the work. Then celebrate what God has done in your life. Amen. Number nine, last one. Over-deliver on your promise. Over, over-deliver. I'm talking about staying out of the pr- Bad situations. Over deliver. Don't celebrate too soon. The the movie Rocky Three or Four, Apollo Creed Fights the Russian. Supposed to be an exhibition match. You all remember that? Apollo just had a good time, right? Celebrating too soon, got knocked out. Yeah. He was supposed to win that match. Just a little exhibition match. He under-delivered by a long shot, right? If you want to stay moving forward, if you can have the habit of over-delivering, you will always stay out of jail or somebody will come and get you out. No matter if, if you can over-deliver, you can get it done. Not only will the favor of God be on your life, but the favor of man will be on your life. And Joseph, what Joseph did, if you read the story, he immediately went throughout all of Egypt, everywhere. And he started storing up grain. And he stored up so much grain that it was in overabundance more than they ever imagined, over Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we don't want to return to the places that held us down.